Sin acknowledges and pays respects to the owners of the land of the House of Sin and Studio Stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to elders and traditional owners of the lands our contents reach, as well as the studio stations we broadcast from the country. Sovereignty was never seceded. You're listening to the Naughty Rude Show podcast, Sin's place for all things sex, health, relationships and identity. So, so, so scandalous. Hey, 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 hey. How is everyone? Not bad. How are you? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty good, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm doing all right. Oh, yeah. Not bad. Um, hello. Uh, hey. It's really <laughs> nice to see everyone. Um, this is the Naughty Rude Show. Well, they're not set. seeing us, but they're hearing no, us. No, no. Well, We're, it's, we it's get, nice We get the privilege everyone. to see us. Exactly. Um, my name is Molly. I am 24 years old. I'm a cis straight female and I am in a long-term, monogamous, glorious relationship. Over to you. Uh, my name is Hamish. I am a straight, uh, male who's in a, uh, yeah, relationship with a lovely lady. Um, yeah. Cool. My turn? Yeah, my turn. Erin. <laughs> hey, everyone. My name is Erin. I am a bisexual female, cis female, and I am single. I'm also 19. And also ready to mingle. Yeah. You're say- 19? Yeah. I'm older than you. Yeah. I'm, oh, a, I'm a baby. I don't know. You, you feel like a mother figure to me. <laughs> like the, the, no, don't like put the those le- expectations on her. No, oh but like God. the leader of like the Naughty Rude squad and everything. Well, mm. this is sin. This is where young people run the show. It's true. It just, I, I feel old now. I feel and she so does old. an amazing job at it. Oh, no, she does an incredible job. Oh. That's why she feels like a mother figure. Because oh. oh, <laughs> my mom does a great job. <laughs> does not appreciate being referred to as a mother figure. No no flattery in the public realm. When the microphones are off, go nuts. There's a reason why they can't see our faces. Yeah. On, uh, faces for radio, as, as one would say. So, we just going to move on from that. Um, uh, this week is Reconciliation Week. Uh, I'm just going to read out a little excerpt from the, is it the Victorian government wrote this yes. Reconciliation Week? So it says, National Reconciliation Week is an annual celebration and is a time for all Australians to reflect on our shared histories and on the contributions and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The week is framed by two key events in Australia's history that provide strong symbols of the aspirations for reconciliation. So this is a really special show that we've got tonight. Um, We have watched the documentary um, done by NITV a couple of years ago called Brother Boys. I have had a chat to another Sin Volley called Kimmy Lovegrove, who was really awesome to interview um, about her experience in community media as an Aboriginal student. Um, we also have decided to throw in a little bit of, so I guess this is lighthearted content, uh, chatting about broken hearts and breakups. So not really lighthearted, but taking... Uh, We're going to put a nice little positive spin on the end, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, we also discuss barriers and challenges to Aboriginal sexual health. Um, we have, as always, some great tunes chosen by myself. And, uh, of course, we answer all your questions on the Tumblr, which you can write into at the naughtyrecho.tumblr.com forward slash ask. So, guys, it's chocolate today. Chocolate block. Chocolate mm-hmm. block. So, let's just start so um as i said uh, during the week i watched the nitv documentary um brother boys here is uh the first little excerpt that i'm just gonna play for you right here at the moment taz isn't competing in the male division whilst on the inside taz feels he is a boy 
he still has a long way to go to be recognised as one by the outside world. When I was younger, I used to ask all my friends if they would like me better if I was a guy. And um, I said at one time that, oh, you know, would you still support me if I got surgery to be a guy? Taz is a brother boy, an Indigenous transgender person born with a female body, but identifying as a male. It's a contradiction Taz has been struggling with for pretty much his whole life. I was probably in grade two. I was extra masculine, you know, overly masculine and all this, and a lot of people would, like, mistake me for a boy. Taz has decided to physically transition into a male. Well, I guess for me, you just feel like a prisoner on your own. It, you, know, like, you want to be this person, but yeah, outside says otherwise, and people judge you by what's on the outside instead of the inside. So that was Taz, as we heard, talking about their experience going from female to male, um, transitioning from female to male. Um, the most interesting thing that I found about this documentary was not only the fact that these young people were transitioning um, from, I suppose, one gender to the next or transitioning to a different gender, it was also about the spiritual barriers that that can play within culture. So the there's a part at the end where an older person who's transitioned later in life um, at the age of 40 and he talked about mountains and hills and areas that he was able to go to when mm. he was a woman and was no longer able to go to after the transition. And I think that that was... It just adds another layer onto an already tumultuous time in one's life if you are transitioning. Yeah, yeah. Um, What did you think about it, Erin? I thought, um, going off that point that you mentioned there, just quickly, I thought that was a really interesting concept as well. And myself, I will preface as well, not identifying as an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person, so knowing that that sort of cultural boundary exists as well would be incredibly difficult I think to come to terms with because we know we've seen in the medium we've seen in from some of us know people who might have transitioned or been through similar experiences where they felt that they weren't in the right body essentially and I can't begin to fathom what that might feel like when that not only affects your sense of self but it also affects your sense of where you belong in the community and further in your religious and spiritual beliefs I, I just can't fathom it really yeah I think that what they talked about was there was a process of reinitiation. So you have that sure. um, initial initiation into womanhood, I suppose. I, I don't know what age that happens because I myself am not Indigenous. But they, after this person transitioned, they had to then talk to some male elders and go through another process. So they had the smoke ceremony with eucalyptus leaves and went to sacred men's areas mm. and ma- I guess you'd say mountains or yep. whatever that might be and they had to have a, another um, initiation and that's something that the 
Indigenous community has started to really become more aware of those people who are in transition and reinitiating them back into culture. Mm. Um, in the instance of the Tiwi Islands in uh, the Northern Territory, mm. where there was a lot of resistance against these sorts of people being, you know, being able to live fulfilled and happy lives as the people that they identified as, as transgender people. And it took drastic measures unfortunately, before a recognition or a sort of acceptance came around. And thankfully we saw in this documentary there was an overwhelming positive response from family, friends and community regarding the people, the young people, but also the older person at the end. I, f- I forgot his name now, but I think it's, it's Dale. Dale. Yeah. Dale. Um, the family around them are just so open-minded and supportive of, you know, accepting these people for who they are. And I remember this one moment with Taz, the young the young boy who's just a, a brother boy coming out to his friends and family and the father saying, You're you're my son, you're and I'm proud of you regardless. Mm. And it was a it's a really impactful moment and highly recommend watching this documentary mm. through NITV if you haven't. But I will also go on to this point about how we view transitioning as a physical thing in society and not necessarily as a mental or emotional thing. Um, yeah, we have an excerpt here, which is later in the documentary. Um, some of you may have heard of Star Lady, bloody great. I was going to say fabulous, and I didn't know if that was very appropriate. Pretty no, much, she's, she, she's yeah, pretty, probably she's pretty, pretty <laughs> bloody uh, fabulous, and she's an advocate um, for trans rights, um, and also is pretty prominent in the fashion industry, particularly at in the desert of mm-hmm. Northern Territory and Western Australia. So here is the excerpt uh, from her. At the moment, Taz isn't competing in the male division. Whilst on the inside, Taz feels he is a boy. He still has a long way to go to be recognised as one by the outside world. When I was younger, I used to ask all my friends they would like me better if I was a guy. And um, I said at one time that, oh, you know, would you still support me if I got surgery to be a guy? Taz is a brother boy, an Indigenous transgender person born with a female body but identifying as a male. It's a contradiction Taz has been struggling with for pretty much his whole life. I was probably in grade two. I was extra masculine, you know, overly masculine and all this, and a lot of people would like mistake me for a boy. Taz has decided to physically transition into a male. Well, I guess for me, you just feel like a prisoner on your own. It, you, know, like, you want to be this person, but yeah, outside says otherwise, and people judge you by what's on the outside instead of the inside. So that was Star Lady, and at the end that was also Kai, who is a Melbourne-based um, writer mm-hmm. and also trans um, activist. Uh, so Kai, throughout the documentary, we see their um, transition from female to male and they did so quite publicly, uh, documenting month by month mm. um, on hormonal treatment and putting those videos on the internet. His description of how the le- like his leg hair kind of like crawled up was really beautiful. I thought, like, if- just that idea of like when like as you change, like everything kind of goes. 
and like you get to experience all that. Like mm. it must be pretty interesting for one thing, but also an experience for another. Well, I feel I sound like I feel like I'm really interested because uh, I've never gone through male puberty, so mm. I'm like, oh, does it crawl up your leg? Like when, when it's sort of <laughs> yeah. sprouting, how does it happen? Because obviously, I think our as uh, having a female body, mm. my the major sort of pinnacle turnaround is you know you you get boobs that pop out and then you start bleeding through your vag yep. pretty much um <laughs> and I, w- I wonder if you make that transition do you experience in that puberty as like for like the opposite gender or is it just like you fall into that realm of what they are when they're older yeah mm. yeah I, I feel like it's like if you switch when you're like 50 years old and then you get to experience like male puberty for it like about a 14-year-old would experience, that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, I think I feel like it would be an accelerated form of yeah. um, puberty. But because I have a lot of friends who are part of the queer community and a lot of people who are trans. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I have sort of noticed is the behaviour that they show, particularly on platforms like social media, is a lot more... Um, Okay, so you know how you, when when you're younger and you're sort of trying to find yourself and find your identity mm. and you can be quite vocal about it and you also sort of try different fashion styles and sure. you try, so I just, it's really interesting to see people who are my age who are going through transitions and seeing them back in that sort of experimental stage of what we would have as like 14 to 16 kind of like adolescent um, yeah, yeah. The, the, it's like the, the mind is is racing with with all these different like new thoughts. Mm. Um, they're like, wow, like oh, I can I can wear dresses now, or like, oh, I, I'm totally just going to wear like as many pants as yeah. possible. I'm going to own this moustache, but then like wear these earrings. Yeah. Um, it's it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful to see that everyone is is supportive of this mode of exploration. Well, That's proud. yeah. Well, there's this moment in the documentary as well where. Um, the son of the older gentleman, Dale, comes out and says transitioning is not about person A becoming person B. It's about person A reaching their full potential and finally being comfortable and completely happy as person A because Dale says he was comfortable living as a lesbian woman in a long-term relationship with the love of his life, but he wasn't happy because Mm. he wasn't in the body that he wanted to be. I think that's really profound. Yeah, yeah, Mm. it's such a poignant statement to say that, Mm. but to... Um, a transition is less about from gender A to gender B, but to to be whatever person you are supposed to be, regardless of gender. Yeah, I think that that is really important to remember when we're viewing anyone. I mm. suppose definitely, <laughs> yeah, all people. Yeah, um, and one of one of the things that um, we'll just touch on before we finish up is you you touched it before, Erin. You mm. said that the documentary talks about the Aboriginal community being much more of an advocate of community being strong together as opposed to putting the onus on what gender you are. So for all these people, there is a general community acceptance and family acceptance of the transition. They're relatively supportive and they actually talk about health services being needed to support that because... I mean, a lot of the time it's not necessarily the case. A lot of the time family has a really difficult time trying to come to terms with what gender someone will become and, and their own view of someone else's identity. 
and health services aren't even a thing to begin with, but it's such a huge part of a transition. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think? I think it's so, so important. And the fact that it is overlooked at all is very upsetting. There's a lot of emotions that come with it when I hear about this sort of thing. And I feel like health services, when in the research that we've done during the week, we find that um, people have, who identify as Aboriginal and Indigenous rely on the idea that community is, is the, the utmost importance. And community also needs to come through in their health services and the services that are available to them are, are fully advocating for that. There's things like Two Spirit um, Initiative. Uh, there's a whole bunch of resources out there that are focused on initiatives that are driven for Indigenous people and focus on the needs of the community. So, you know, if that is what is required, we need more of it, is all I can say, really. Well, I have a pretty special song to play. Uh, Abbey Original is a really great group. Uh, they wrote a song, obviously released just before the 26th of January, which is our, well, I'm going to say Invasion Day. Some might mm-hmm. call it Australia Day. I believe it's Invasion Day. Um, it's called uh, 26th of January. It is pretty bloody sick. Um, this is the Naughty Root Show on Sin Nation. Welcome back to the Naughty Root Show here on Sin Nation. You are with Erin, Molly and Hamish tonight. That song was January 26th by AB Original. Briggs and Trials from Buckles. Big fan. Big fan. Such a good track. Oh, my God. <sighs> it was also featuring Dan Sultan. I'm going to just... Really? Information. Yep, the vocalist there in the chorus is Dan Sultan, so... <sighs> My, 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 my hips couldn't say no, Music, quite frankly. <laughs> no. I couldn't help it. <laughs> it's a groovy tune. <laughs> Molly, what are we talking about now? Uh, well, this week I had a chat to fellow SIN volunteer, Kimmy Lovegrove, who is an Aboriginal woman uh, who is, I think, actually the day that I interviewed her, she had one last class to go right after we interviewed of her whole degree. So, so, so she's just finished, which is amazing. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. Really great interview. I loved talking to her about well, lots of issues. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it. I'm just gonna play it. This is uh, Kimmy Lovegrove. We're talking about some serious stuff. If you need help at any time, you can contact Beyond Blue at one three hundred two two four six three six. Kids Helpline on one eight hundred five five one eight hundred or Lifeline on one three one 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 four. Hi, my name's uh, Kimberly Lovegrove. I'm a straight uh, Aboriginal woman from South Australia living in Victoria. So we want to have a bit of a chat about some of the issues that regard Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth. What would some of the first issues that would come to your mind when we're talking about disadvantages? Yep. Um, So the first thing that comes to mind is definitely mental health. Um, because we do have a lot of young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that do struggle with their identity and fitting into, I guess, a um, group, which I don't believe, you know, should exist. You know, we shouldn't be putting labels on each other, and that's when mental health comes into it, because when we start putting labels on people, then... I guess we use that labels to identify us. For example, a label could be, you know, you're really into, I guess, punk emo music and someone, I guess, judges you based on that and doesn't give you the same opportunities as someone who's into, like, Christian rock kind of music. Sure. Thanks for that. So do you have any 
examples and or any personal experiences that you want to share with us when it comes to that? When it comes to, I guess, feeling disadvantaged and being made felt different is I've had circumstances where people haven't agreed with some of the decisions I've made in a kind of leadership role capacity and they've tried to make me feel bad about myself and it's come from a place of, you know, jealousy and not being able to have the same opportunities as me and I don't um, deal with confrontation very well as does any person on earth yeah it's pretty tough yeah it it was uh really hard to I guess get past and get through so I'm very lucky to be surrounded by family and friends that were completely supportive and were able to give me advice so I wouldn't be struggling and being depressed about it when I had done nothing wrong and that it comes from they want the same opportunity as you but sometimes people work a little bit harder. So some people are more vocal about, you know, what needs to be done. And that's something that I'm very proud to do whenever I see that there's an opportunity that a lot of young people can have access to. I'm very vocal saying, you know, you need to apply for this program because it's going to give you the necessary experience to become a better professional or better person so I've been able to get some of my friends to get involved with sin for example um, because they've said okay I really do want to use my voice and I really do want to let the general public know this is happening this is what we can work towards to create a better environment and I guess place um, in Melbourne whenever I see a massive opportunity I'm always saying okay do this do this do this even if I don't know much about the opportunity or initiative. That's great. I think it's really good that you recognise the opportunities that are available, particularly directed towards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth and that you are helping your community engage in that. I think that that's a really positive thing and I think you should be really proud of that. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to touch on something that we talked about before we started having a talk on air. You talked about some of the issues when it came to media representation. Yeah. Can you can you start on what you feel about that? Uh, so I've been actually a part of SIN since 2015. So I uh, joined uh, SIN through the diversity program. Uh, so I was it's a great able, program. It is. Everybody apply. <laughs> um, so I was able to you know learn about I guess how underrepresented diverse people are in mainstream uh, radio, especially through community radio, because when you actually think of radio itself, you just think of like a white male just putting out all his thoughts and that kind of stuff. And boring. Even it's completely boring and people aren't really going to listen to what you have to say. And I've learned that, you know, radio is another tool that we can use to push out positive messages. And that's what I'm always doing. Whenever I see someone doing great work, I always kind of push them through that bright light on the stage and just say, okay, you've done really great work. You should be acknowledged for it. Because when you do great work and you're not acknowledged for it, you're like, what did I do wrong? I, what should I do? And for myself, when I've applied for like an award or anything like that, and if I don't get it, I kind of look back on what I've done to actually get that far. And I kind of push myself to that um, bright light on the stage, kind of say, I've done this, who wants to come and join me so we can build a bigger and better community. So I feel, so what, yeah. is, that might be what we um, at the Naughty Rude show like to call owning your shit. Yes. Pretty much. 
what sort of changes would you like to see in that direction, particularly when it came to, as you said, community radio? Yep. So, for example, um, SIN is actually creating a reconciliation action plan to get more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people involved in SIN. So, with that, I see, you know, putting out there, this is what SIN does and that this is the best way or one of the best ways you can actually use your voice to talk about important issues because there's a lot of Victorian young Aboriginal people that are protesting, they're, you know, speaking to heads of departments to create that change for their people and I definitely see SIN as one of those online tools or I guess broadcasting tools to actually get that ball rolling when it comes to, for example, with the Victorian government with some of the initiatives that are not advertised as much as they should be. So um, using community radio instead of mainstream radio because with uh, mainstream radio they have this, I guess, uh, perception that, you know, if you don't meet their criteria that they're really not going to promote or support you. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's what I love about community radio, that is for everybody, Um, you know, even though we're from different backgrounds and we are from different cultures, we all have the same, um, I guess, motivation is to, you know, use our voices to promote good things. I was actually at a Roxanne Gay talk on Monday night and she was talking about in the US how the lack of media representation in television shows as broadcasters, as newsreaders for African-American women and African-Americans in general was a sort of erasure of their experience and their existence within a society. Is this something that resonates with your experience within Australia? I definitely think because of a lot of mainstream media that they've put out stories about young Aboriginal people, whether it be them drunk or fighting or doing drugs or anything like that, um, that it kind of uh, will cut a lot of job opportunities and um, experiences to expand their knowledge on defined work. Because when you go to employ and you say that you're an Aboriginal person, they automatically think drugs, alcohol, thief and all that kind of stuff, especially these small businesses. So I definitely think that when you have uh, mainstream media putting out these really bad stories about young Aboriginal people or any young person in general, that is actually cutting, I guess, the opportunity for a young person to expand their knowledge or their education or to find them a job that's actually going to, I guess, pick them up from where they're going and actually inspire them to do more with their life. Absolutely. So I'm going to change the direction of this conversation now yep. a little bit. We at the Naughty Ridge Show, as I said, are predominantly sex and sexuality, amongst many things. So what are some current issues that are affecting Indigenous youth, particularly regarding sex and sexuality? I think it definitely comes under, I guess, education. So the lack of education that is out there in rural and remote areas because you see um, if we're looking at two families, an Aboriginal family and a uh, white family, the Aboriginal family will have more members, especially the younger ones will, uh, you know, the younger ones starting at like 16 and then all the way up, where if you see it a white family, the mother will be like 20 uh, or 25. I believe that because there's a lack of 
um, health services and because we get the majority of our education from health services out in remote and uh, remote areas, it's really hard to, you know, say, okay, when you are having sex, you know, use these measures to protect yourself from STIs and STDs. So I definitely think that's an issue that young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are facing, that with a lot of these health services, that they're not everywhere all over Australia and people have to travel so far to a health service, especially in, I guess, the middle of Australia, which is like in the NT, because they have to travel so far to go to a health service. And if that health service isn't available to them, they have to either fly to uh, their state hospital, whether that be in Darwin or South Australia. So I definitely think that that's an issue that will constantly be a thing because of, you know, the government not putting enough funding into health services for Aboriginal people all over the um, nation. Yeah. What would you like to see change about that in the future? Um, So I recently spoke at a Close the Gap event um, and talked about um, injustice and inequality for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And uh, I started talking about, um, you know, because they asked, you know, how can we make the Close the Gap initiative, um, I guess, a little bit more um, promoting and to get more commitment from the Aboriginal community. And I said, you need to expand on your services. You need to expand on your commitment to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people because, um, you know, one of the questions was when Aboriginal people tell us they don't want our help, what do we do? I'm like, don't give up. Keep pushing because even if someone tells you that they don't need their help, they're being a little bit stubborn and they know that what you're trying to do is a good thing, but they think that, you know, oh, what we're doing is it's good enough for us. But there's there's always something more that, you know, um, the Victorian government can do or the Close the Gap initiative can do. There's always something a little bit more. So you need to show that you're not going to quit and that you want to change and help these uh, small Aboriginal communities to um, make them more healthier and, make, and have the opportunity to expand um their knowledge or to provide an opportunity for them to go to uni or to um be a part of a health service or something like that to actually show that yes um we've got these great opportunities but they're more accessible in suburban areas in Australia not in rural or remote areas so we need to kind of say okay this is what suburban Victoria has what doesn't rural and remote Victoria don't have and kind of I guess close uh, the gap yeah pretty much so focus a a little bit more on the funding for um, for example places like Shepparton, Mildura, Swan Hill those kind of areas even though they have really strong Aboriginal communities and health services there's always something a little bit more that we can do to actually help them out and like you said before close the gap yeah absolutely So one thing that I am particularly interested in is how people who are marginalised are talked about and seen in general conversation. So I I just want to know what sort of things arise to you when people find out that you are Aboriginal. Um, What kind of, I guess, 
labels do people put on you and how do they treat you differently in that sense? So it's it's quite funny because like um, I catch Uber a lot and um, I was talking to my Uber driver about, you know, what I do and where I study and as soon as I said I was Aboriginal, all these stereotypes just came smashing at me because he said, um, so do all Aboriginal people come from Darwin? Because you look pretty fair. Um, are you really Aboriginal though? And I'm like... It's pretty inappropriate. Uh yeah, you're not going to get five stars, man. You're going to get one, or not even, probably a zero. I don't think I'm even going to give you stars. But I, I kept on telling him, you know, um, Aboriginal people are all over the country. They're, you know, uh, black, brown, orange, white even. And that that doesn't mean anything, you know, because when you identify as an Aboriginal person, you're not identifying your skin colour, you're identifying that you come from this really, really great community and culture that have been through so much struggle and, you know, they haven't stopped. They're constantly breathing, they keep on moving, they keep on, you know, telling the government no matter what you throw at us we're still going to be here we're not going anywhere so I had to like school him basically that um when you're learning about Indigenous Australia you only spend like two sessions learning about you know how um Australia was invaded whether you believe that or not and I basically told him that a lot of it was conquered as most classes would say yeah let's go with invasion yes um (laughs) and uh, I told him that the textbooks that you learn from are written by white people. They're not written by authentic Aboriginal people that have experienced this. So you can't really take it as, you know, a, a academic source because it's not coming from a person that was actually there that has had family that have experienced that. They actually have stories to tell because um, there are a lot of um, Aboriginal elders that have experienced the stolen generation and they can tell you exactly what happened and how it went down and how, you know, I guess a lot of movies and TV shows you see about, I guess, that talk about things like that, um, they won't be authentic unless it's coming from an Aboriginal character or if it's coming from a Aboriginal director or writer or anything like that because it's it's like when um, you're telling someone that you went to a concert and someone's writing an article about it and they say that they were there when they weren't there, you know. So it's, it's, it's a little bit like that. It's not really authentic. And just one last question to finish it off, Kimmy. Yeah. What does reconciliation mean to you? I just love this question because it means so many things. Um, so reconciliation means to me, it's um, it's a whole range of things. So for me personally, it means you know being able to talk about how we can work better together. Because um, when I spoke at the Close the Gap event, um, I mentioned that when we do have um, weeks like Natick Week, Reconciliation Week, Sorry Day, that it's not just for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We want everyone involved so we can build a better community and a sense of understanding of the history. Because when you tell a, um, I guess, 
someone who wasn't born in Australia or you tell a white person about the history of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, they're so shocked because they can't even imagine all the violence and all the sexual abuse that has happened because they, they can't even fathom it whatsoever. And, you know, as much as Reconciliation Week is about, you know, working together with a whole range of other diverse cultures and communities is also about acknowledging our past and how we can you know move forward and not repeat what has happened so that's um you know what reconciliation means to me beautiful kimmy thank you so much for coming on our show today you are a dead set legend thank you thanks we love Dead Set Legends here at the Naughty Road Show, apparently. Oh, yeah, mate. Dead oh, Set yeah. Legends over Lots here. Of dead Set Legends. Oh. And a sick boof, hey, Mom? Such a, <laughs> such a <laughs> sick boof. Hey, well, we'll get to sick boofs in a minute. Um, so that was Kimmy Lovegrove. Um, thanks a lot for. Thank you so much, Kimmy, for sharing your experience and your opinions. Thought I'd chuck that in there as well. <laughs> yep. I was, yeah, I was about to say that. You, I'm sorry. You're stealing the show. <laughs> I wanted to add multiple. I thought you, I thought you didn't like to talk. I, 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 I don't. It's all coming out now. The problem is I don't know when to speak. That's why. Like, I'll, I'll leave dead air or I speak over the top of people. I'm just really not good at this job. So that's why I'm going to let Molly continue speaking. <laughs> we all just... No, it's okay. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to play a song by Iron and Wine, the Lion's Mane now. And afterwards, we're going to reveal why... We have done so. So this is The Lion's Mane by Iron and Wine, uh, wow. and you are listening to the Naughty Root Show on Sin Nation. So that was The Lion's Mane by Iron and Wine. This is the Naughty Root Show on Sin Nation. So I chose that song because just before the show, at <coughs> about 6 o'clock, I was walking through the city, had lots of food, I was feeling really full, I needed something quiet to listen to. So I was like, oh, I'll put on that. And that album particularly is an album that I listened to a lot when I was with my boyfriend before the current boyfriend and it's actually the first time that I've been able to listen to that album without stopping halfway or shedding a couple of tears Um, yeah yeah so I've had a breakthrough today which is really good congratulations it's been two years yeah proud of you (laughs) it's been two years um yeah so that relationship was the one that I um got my heart broken the most did he break up with you he did can you tell us how it went or which part do you want to know (laughs) I I guess the main part. The main part the break of, up of the itself. actual breakup. Yeah. Okay. Well, basically, hmm. I'm just going to flag this before. This next part of the topic could be potentially triggering because we are going to talk a little bit about mental health. So if you, <coughs> if this topic has triggered you in any way, uh, please seek help. We have uh, the hotlines here for Beyond Blue, one three hundred double two four six three six. The Kids Helpline is at 1-800-55-1800. Lifeline is 13-11-14. And we'll continue. So um, at that time, I was actually going through a really bad time. I was having a lot of panic attacks. And I had had a panic attack. So basically, I I finished work at the bar. It was like 9 o'clock. I called my boyfriend who was actually away 
He was doing some writing at his beach house. Writing, not riding. Writing. Writing. <laughs> at the beach house. At the beach house. He sounds like an aspiring writer if he's writing at the beach house. He was writing at the beach house. Mm. He is an aspiring writer, yes. Uh, for various aspects. Anyway, and uh, I was having a really crappy time, so I called him and he was pretty distant and it was in a really fulfilling conversation and I was feeling really wigged out about it and I started to ride home and in the middle of my ride home I had a really big panic attack on mm. the side of the road and I managed to call a friend who helped calm me through it I hopped back on my bike and I got home um, and this particular boyfriend had a habit of after about 9 o'clock turning his phone on flight mode so he was unreachable mm. um, and it, I guess at the point where I, a boyfriend has caused a panic attack and isn't the one that you can actually call to help you, you sort of have to start questioning <coughs> what's happening here and why is there this communication breakdown. So the next morning he calls me and he's like, oh, I saw heaps of missed calls. What happened? I was like, well, well, you know, after we hung up the phone, I was riding home and I had a really big panic attack and I tried to call you because I needed some help and you weren't reachable, which I can understand. But if he knows that I'm in a state like that and I might need to be helped, I feel like he should have sure. recognised that. Anyway, um, and then we talked about it and I just said sort of, mate, what do you want? What do you want from this? What do you see this? Like in six months, 12 months time, do you see us being together? What do you see this becoming? And his answer was, oh, I honestly haven't really thought about it. And I said, okay, I think about this question every day and about what this could be. So we obviously have differing views as to what this is and he sort of sat with that for a while and he came back the next day it was a Friday I had to work in the evening and he came over and he was not very chirpy and he said hey can we go for a walk when someone says hey can we go for a walk you kind of know that it's not necessarily going to be the best thing so um, he broke up with me I was really distraught I had to call my work in tears I, I basically couldn't really talk and I just said I, I, there's no way I can work I can hardly speak to you I'm really sorry and I hung up and they were very understanding about it mm -hmm. and then <laughs> he actually drove me to my friend's house across the city so from north side to east side which is quite far that whole time we didn't talk and I asked him can you tell me what you're thinking and he just shook his head and he wouldn't tell me and then we hugged goodbye and I cried a lot and then I spent the night with my friends there are actually some pictures on um on, oh, on Facebook of um <laughs> of that day that afterwards I don't know why my friend posted them up online yeah. but they did um so yeah, that's my breakup story. It was pretty traumatic and the months afterwards it took me a really long time mm. to come to terms that I think a year after we broke up, I finally wrote a letter to him like I wanted to that whole time and told him everything that really destroyed me about that relationship. <coughs> and then 
after I sent that letter, it kind of all just started to go away and I didn't think about him mm. as much anymore. In fact, he hardly comes into my mind anymore. And it's such a damn relief. It's such a relief to have my mind space back. Mm. And, of course, I'm in a new relationship and that relationship is really supportive. Um, supportive enough that I'm actually able to talk to him a lot about how this past relationship has affected me. Mm. So that's my breakup story. Come on, someone <laughs> else in the hot seat. Top that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's Molly. okay. Thank you for listening. No, always here to listen here on the Naughty Rude Show <laughs> all the time. Um, breakups suck. They really suck. Awesome. And I think, yeah, I think we all know that. If you've experienced one, you've watched a movie about one, you know that they're not a fun time and they can be some of the hardest experiences in human existence, in human relationships, in the human condition. But that's, they're a big part of um, who we are. figuring out who you are. Yeah. And being stronger and more resilient and being more trusting. I know a lot of people, especially myself in personal experience, exiting relationships, um, breakups. Even I might even add here with friends as well. Friend breakups suck. They are really, they're almost harder they're, yeah. in, in a lot of ways because they sort of, they, I feel like they're... It's they not just a out. single event. It's like, yeah, stretch out over time. Yeah. It's a breakup in a relationship is like, it's a, you can pin it down to one thing. It's the, the snap. It's the, when they like, we're breaking up. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a friendship breakup, there's never a defined moment. Like you don't know you when, just, you don't know when it went wrong. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could be a thing of like growing apart mm. from each other. And like, we've the all been there because we've all had how many friends in our lives? Like the ones that we have in primary school and I, then the I haven't ones. had too many. <laughs> well, like, what I mean by that is that yeah. you have this friend for a certain period of time and then you change and then, or they might change and then, you know, you just go, we meet people every day in every walk of life and, you know, this is really cheesy, but meet them for a reason and they're there for however long for a reason. And, yeah, I'm a firm believer of that. But with, with my personal experience with relationship breakdowns, um, I guess the first relationship breakup I had was really difficult for me because I was in a really stressful period of my life. I was near the end of high school, um, so obviously I had a lot of academic pressure there as well, but also social pressure from friends and all sorts. Year 12 is, is a rocky road, my mm -hmm. friends. Year 12 is a tough time. But having that added pressure of losing not only someone who I considered my boyfriend for an extended period of time, but also a good friend of mine was really, really shit, like really sucked. And when you lose someone I feel that is important to you like that, who you've spent every day with for however long, and you've shared a whole piece of yourself that you might not necessarily have given up to someone else before, it's really scary when that person walks away and they're no longer in your life anymore and you go oh hang on what what do I do now it's kind of as if someone pulls the rug out from underneath you really is how I would relate there's such it. a strong part of your identity as well when it comes yeah. to those, those parts so when there is that absence you start to question what actions you do for you and mm. what you do for the others in your life so I, I guess things like things that you would share like music or like an activity or whatever, would you still do them if you didn't have them around? Mm. And if you, if that answer is no, then you really start to question parts of your identity yeah, that sure. you thought were so, like solid. Mm -hmm. 
It's yeah, it's it's really true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny actually that we're talking about this now because I have recently gone through a breakup, mm-hmm. and um, oh, don't, don't sigh. <laughs> it was it was a, a good feeling to have that pressure off because we weren't good for a long time in this relationship, and to have that final moment of, all right, we're done, was very much a relief. And I hate to use that word, but it was almost like a. I felt that I had the opportunity to find myself again because I felt that I had really lost a huge part of myself in this person. And that's a huge part of the reason why I've always seen myself as a really independent kind of just floater, I guess. I've never really, like, stuck down to a single person. And when I do that, I'm y- I think I'm yet to figure out how to do that in a way that is healthy for me because when I am in a relationship, when I do trust myself to give it a go... I find I'm not the same person and I don't really like the person that I am in a relationship. Mm. Breakups kind of reiterate that to me because there's that pain and there's that trauma. And I, I seriously believe that it is a physical pain when you have a breakup oh and my your gosh. heart is breaking. You can feel it. You can feel oh, that pain. How much is there like a, a, at least five bricks yeah. on mm. your chest at all times? And how much is it really hard to open your eyes mm-hmm. or move your muscles in your face so you can smile. Mm. How much do you, does your gut feel like it couldn't possibly digest any food? Mm. It is so physical. Mm, for sure. Very intense. But at the same time, when very you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, very I've vivid. i about this a lot. <laughs> I, I think you're the aspiring writer now. <laughs> She's an artist, one day, one you day. see. I'm an mm. artist. It's very vis- visceral descriptions. <laughs> Good for you. Yes. <laughs> but also, with that pain, <clears throat> once it finally lifts, it's incredibly cathartic. And... I know in my experience, you know, you have that, that time and there's no set time. It can be two weeks, it can be two months, it can be two years. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to get over a person, to get over the pain that you may have experienced in a relationship because everyone deals with things differently and every circumstance may be different. It might have just been a short-term relationship, but it can still really hurt. Like, it doesn't matter. You're still connected mm-hmm. to the someone. You've still made that choice and you've still put yourself on the line and it can be really difficult to deal with that. But when you finally get to that moment of relief, I'm going to use the word relief, but I know it's not the right word. I just can't think of anything better right now. But it's it's a physical relief almost. It's Mm. like a a release from what you were feeling before. And suddenly I know that in my experience, I just feel like the whole world is opened up again and I feel like myself. I always feel like on those days where you feel the relief, there's it's slightly overcast and then at the end of the day, it's a bit cloudy and mm. it's really sunny and you kind of skip down the street. I'm, every time I've had those moments of relief, I'm just like, oh, my God. And I call someone. I'm like, I just have to, to let you know that this is happening so I don't feel like I'm just making it up. And they're like, yeah, no, no, you feel like this. I'm like, yes. And we just like high-five each other through the phone and I just like <laughs> skip down the street. Like, and uh, I'm quite a gestural person, so which is quite ironic given that I'm on the radio. So um, in the studio, I'm here like pretending that I'm skipping down the street. You speak with such vivid language to compliment. <laughs> Thank you. you Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh my God, Hamish, do you have a breakup story? Uh, I do. Um, you don't have to share it if you don't No, want it's to. fine. No, I'm happy. Okay. Um, I, I just feel I'm not as well versed with breakups as you guys. I, I'm still yawning. Actually, even though I'm not as much of a yawning as. I'm, I'm quite young. Uh, you're the young young. I am the young young. Well, I've only had two, two serious relationships. Okay. 
So oh, well, pretty equal level. Yeah. Um, as you kind of talked about before, you go through life having different friends and all that. I didn't really get friends until halfway through high school. Sure. I, yeah. I led a very uh, bullied life and mm. didn't really fit in well. Um, mm. But, you know, I, fi- I finally got there and made more friends. Yeah. And, of course, that led to uh, possibilities of relationships. So my first relationship um, was with a girl who I would never assumed uh, would have liked me. And it would just seemed like a very weird clash of personalities. She was like a popular girl from the year below me. And I was kind of like the nerdy kind of kid who hands out and does weird stuff. Um, but we're both theatre kids, so you know how theatre goes. There's a certain charm about you, theatre kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There definitely is. There um, really is. But the oh. little bit of backstory to that, it was also in end of high school, so last yeah. year of year 12. Um, I was already going through a pretty bad time because my um, dog had passed away. Oh. Uh, out of the blue as well, and he was oh, like the only so thing hard. that kind so of uh, kept me together those past eight years. I had a lot of stuff. I, I never realised I really had a lot of kind of uh, depression and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and I feel like maybe that was because uh, my dog Bounce uh, was a very powerful thing mm. and helped me. Um, so that happened and I fell into a relationship and I guess that kind of uh, sudden joy of having someone there kind of masked all the bad feelings. Mm. Um, but that was a very... Uh, it, that fizzled out very quickly. That was only three months. So the end of it was was also out of the blue and I think I relate that to a lot of things. A lot of times that stuff happened in my life are very sudden. There's no reasons, which I hate the most. I think there always needs to be a reason for something that yeah. happened. Um, and especially with a breakup, if you don't talk about it and if you don't kind of think about where it led to, you can't, can't, you know, you can't kind of build on that. You can't think about it later in life. You can't avoid the mistakes that you made. So mm. I've never really had that context of the relationship and why it broke. Um, and I think that really kind of hit me hard for the year after that. And I'm in a fantastic relationship now and I've sure. moved on. Um, but I only moved on a year into that relationship. Do you find that you didn't really know why it broke up, that lack of closure was the thing that tormented you the most? Oh, yeah. Like if I had, if even, even if I had like an hour of closure, it would have been... Fantastic. That's all I needed. And I didn't want to get back together. I didn't want, mm. like, anything. I just needed to know. Um, mm. And I, I stayed friends with her for, like, another year, and we talked about it a few times, but there was never there was never specified the reason would change every time, so I never knew what was right, what was wrong. Sure. Um, that and, is really hard. Cause yeah, and I, and I still wish I could be friends with her now and talk to her. And then, like, it's not the case. She, like, took me off Facebook out of the blue after I hadn't spoken to her for a few months, and I... I yeah. Hope she's okay now. The but same thing happened to me. Yeah, the exact same thing. I just and when you when you speak of closure, it's just it's a really real thing that yeah. I am processing in my life at the minute. With having this relationship just ended in a very very strangely weirdly voodoo <laughs> shit similar way yeah. to my first relationship makes me kind of feel like oh I really wish I could contact you like and, yeah, and speak and you to can't. you and get that closure and kind of figure out well what can I do because I remember when that relationship ended I wasn't in the mindset to go oh, what can I do to fix this what mm-hmm. how can I be better next time I was like you know I was too emotionally distraught to even process that but yeah. now I'm kind of like okay this has happened again and I'd like to know how to fix it next time so it doesn't happen again I think the funniest part of my breakup was that the, the, the original context the girl that I liked a girl um, 
and the it's all theater drama. The, yeah. the director of the theater, <laughs> the director of the theater, she was like the other main uh, main role in the yeah, show. Right, yeah. um, and I was like, oh, I want to be the nice guy. I want to ask her out after the show's ended because I don't want to be seem creepy. Like we had to kiss on stage. I don't want to seem creepy. As in, like, yeah. oh, I've kissed you. Oh, we should date now. I'm going to wait until after the show. Professionalism. Um, so the director knew that, and, of course, he ended up getting with her and date, started to date her instead, uh, which yeah. was great. Um, and then uh, they were still together when I broke up with my partner, and she had started liking me at that point. Okay. Um, ended up getting together on the same day as the breakup whilst they were still on it together, but on Ooh. a break. Uh, yeah, and we're now still together. As long as oh, yeah. um, And then we ended up getting together months later. Uh, oh my god, plot twist. I, I, always, <laughs> I always feel like I try and make the right moves. Like the next day I, I told him, I was like, I'm really sorry about this. I, I was just, I was drunk and I didn't think about it. And he was like, oh yeah, man, it's fine. And then you broke up with her and I was like, oh yeah, I still kind of like it. So I got with her again yeah. and he's like, man, you're a dick. You really screwed me over. I thought we were mates. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, put it on hold six months later, back together and it's been a year and a half. Oh, Good there times. you go. How lovely. Um, so the I want to wrap it up. I do we each have one hot tips. Hot, hot tips. tips. That's it. That's I, it. I, I'm already stealing it before you closure. I reckon closure is an important thing. If you're ever going to break up with someone, it, have the. I, it's almost like aftercare. Like talk about oh, it yeah. afterwards. Like be open to messenger. Like don't put your phone on airplane mode after nine o'clock. Like be able to get in contact and talk about these things yeah, because. Sure. If you if you don't you you're a dick. You, there's no reason not to be a nice person after a breakup. Like you, it's um, it's it's you go out you can go out of your way to be a mean person, but it's pretty easy to be a nice person. I think you need space at first. Oh yeah, definitely. But I think once you've had that space and you kind of you know you got your wherewithal, you should have the option to come yep. back and have that conversation. Um, isn't really a tip, but like pets are great. For breakups, <laughs> I agree with you. Like that, pets are the best thing in the planet. I, my beautiful little cat oh. is like my life. Seriously, she's gorgeous. And did you get her after the breakup? We no, had her for years. She's she's like seven now, but she did help me through that through those rough patches. I agree. Pets we, did, are very we did helpful. we did cuddle, but um, my my big tip is find something that you love, and whether it's reconnecting with something that you used to do that you love that you might not do as much anymore, or whether it's something completely new out of your comfort zone, find something new and do it. Oh. Did I steal your tip, Molly? Yes! Molly looks angry. Oh, my god! I'm so oh. sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Now you got to think on the spot. <laughs> you gave two there. You gave pet and... I know. Pets are so great. Pet doesn't count. As I don't tip. like to that. <laughs> go, adopt, go adopt a pet to, to help adopt Did you break up with someone? Go get a goldfish. Oh, fair. Name them your ex-partner. <laughs> Look, Maybe the not. things that I've done when I have... Recovered from a breakup. Um, we were talking about this in the break. Uh, I went on Tinder a lot, and it actually really helped me. Yeah. So, if you are someone who who's like Molly, who's like myself, <laughs> and after a breakup they just kind of want to go a little bit risque. Risque—that's a better <laughs> word than I was going to say crazy, but I don't <laughs> like that word. Um, and if you just want to like just get out there and be like, whatever, I need to explore. Tinder is actually really great for that please make sure you look after yourself on tinder sure. make sure that you know what you want out of it what you want with the other person use protection be use safe protection be safe but it is a really great tool the other one um <coughs> stick close with your mates yep. they 
are some of the best allies that you will have when you are recovering from a traumatic event. They are the ones that are going to say, you are bloody beautiful. Friends are like family. Yeah. Actually, hang on. Before we go, I want to touch. So you talk about closure, right? Mm. And I similarly, I didn't have any closure. I have actually come out of that being like, sometimes we don't actually get what we want. A lot, of, a lot of, of the time. Most, a lot of the time, most of the time, we don't get what we want. Mm-hmm. And to, of course, closure is, it can be really important. It's ideal. But in this situation, neither of us got it. And I had to spend so much time preparing myself, building myself back up, being like, I don't need that. I can contemplate all of this on my own. And that has made me much stronger than potentially if I had got closure in the first place. So closure is really important. But if you can't get it, you can't demand it. You can't demand someone give you that. And I think that it's really important to remember that. Mm. Yeah, That's a good point. Yeah, I I just think that that's a really good point because it's not always going to happen. And if you're like, oh, closure, but then you don't get it, you're like, what do I do? What do I do? You are strong. You can get through it. We are tough. People love you. You are great. We can do this. We believe in you. Exactly. That's that's what I had to tell myself. So there you go. Um, should we go to the best breakup song maybe ever? Mm-hmm. Probably, mostly, likely, yes, ever. Ever, ever. No, I'm just thinking of other ones. Ever. <laughs> we don't have time for that. <laughs> All right, we're going to play Tay-Tay. We are never getting back together. Tay-Tay. Uh, this is the United Reach Show on Sin Nation. That was Taylor Swift's We Are Never Ever, ever Getting Back Together. together. And mate, that was that was amazing. Well, you want an acapella, Erin? You want an acapella? Yeah. Here we go. Oh. Here we go. Oh. We're talking about musical breakups before and musical you, breakups. What if you did an acapella breakup with your friends? That sounds very harsh. Or, or you just stand in there. I I'll, like I'm gonna I'll try and be visual, but like one friend steps out from behind the other one by one, and then there's four of you. Yeah, and you are dumped. Like that sounds you, you you are dumped. <gasps> dumped. Dumped. Get out of my life. <laughs> Get out of my life. Oh, I think that Hamish has already thought about this. I feel a bit Love him out of you, you're not getting broken up with. Yeah. Yes. Okay, well it would it would be a story. <laughs> no, I love it would you. be a story at least. Oh mm. yeah. You'd be known as the probably tickers in the <laughs> Anyway. Anyway, so you are, uh, this is the Naughty Rich Show on Sin Nation, <coughs> and um, we're going to answer some of our Tumblr questions. So if you would like us to answer any questions tonight, please write into us at the naughtyrichshow.tumblr.com forward slash ask. <coughs> that is the naughtyrichshow.tumblr.com forward slash ask. All right. Hit it, Erin. All right. Hit it. First one up. I, I have to start with this one. <laughs> I, I have to, because I have so much respect. Can, can you read it monotone? Somebody told... No, I don't want it to... Okay, yeah. Somebody told me that you had a boyfriend <laughs> who looks like a girlfriend that I had in February of last year. It's not confidential. Is, is it confidential <laughs> to tell my ex about her similarity to your boyfriend? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> hang on. Molly looks Can you please... So, is... So somebody told me that you had a boyfriend, I had a boyfriend that looks like my girlfriend that I had in February of last year. Wait, so wait, stop, 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 stop. Okay, so 
Okay, anyway, keep going. In case you don't get it, like, this yeah. is a killer's track. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm yeah not, obviously. No, not you. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm breaking is it, the football. Is it confidential to tell my ex uh, about her similarity to your boyfriend? Are you saying that the ex... Like, should I contact the ex and tell her that um, she looks like your current boyfriend? <laughs> would, would she take just, it as an insult? Would she... What is this? Um, I'm not. I'm not really sure why you would bother because seeps straight up. That's my really? answer. Seeps. <laughs> See, I interpreted this in a completely different way, but like, okay, how did you? I, I'm taking it, it as like, seriously. should you compare your ex to your current boyfriend? Oh, I like this. <laughs> That's how I read it. I read it I that know. way. You just like, should you call them up and tell them? Because I feel like that's discussion. I feel like that's a legit thing that could happen. Oh, uh, my, my, my this, one isn't. <laughs> I feel like your interpretation is a little bit left of field. Yeah. But okay, I guess yeah. it's something you so, could do. So, should, what, are you saying, is it fair to compare your current partner to an ex? Let's go with that. Yeah. Um, so, basically, uh, I guess... I do this all the time. <laughs> can, can I just... Can can you should, just should be no. Yeah, can I... I, I think I, I it's you're impossible not to compare. But I'm, I'm a serial offender at this. <laughs> like, real bad. You always compare? Yeah. Compare the pair. Same, same age, age. Same, same income. income. Stop. Same, same superannuation. Same contribution. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You couldn't help yourself. Um, I think it's impossible to like not compare. Yeah. Partners and stuff. Um, just just do it with like a grain of salt. Yeah. You yeah. can't not not. Well, yeah. Not no one is it the same. It depends how you compare. So. Do they have the same income? <laughs> Probably Probably not. Not. I'm not going to do that um, in the way that you want me to. I so basically, I Are you I do often compare my partners, and I actually do it to my current partners. What mates. do you What do you mm. compare them about? Um, past things like well, uh, past partners have not been as emotionally supportive. Past partners have not been as Rec- they haven't recognised my needs as much as my current one does. So I, I'm a person who I talk out loud a lot. Um, that's how I sort of brainstorm. Some people can do it in their heads <coughs> or with themselves, and I find it better to do yeah. it with other people. Mm. So I will say, oh, I've noticed that my behaviour, like when, I f- when, when we do this, I start to feel a little bit upset about this, but that's only because of past patterns with a different partner that has treated me differently that's why this is happening. I just feel like it's better that we talk about it or I at least recognise it with you. So if you see it happening, mm. you know why and then you can flag me and we can work on it. Well, that's that, very, that's, that's really why I constructive. Do it. Yeah. That's really healthy, I feel. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's easy to hold in resentment to past partners, especially if they haven't um, listened to you as much as potential current ones have. So I think that it's really good to talk about, oh, I act like this it might not be fair or rational, but I do it because of this. I want to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's Re- resounding nods. Here. Yes. Good. Thank you. Uh, does anyone want to add anything to that? Um, I wish I was <coughs> as good at applying the same way of thinking about this as yourself. I have a, a habit, I would say, of doing this in a way that uh, I don't think before I speak and I'm like okay you're that's funny you're really like this you're like my ex in this way haha like kind of in a degrading way almost the way I might bring it up and it might be little things that either annoy me or it might be little things that 
you know, just don't really need to be said. Like, this relationship is here, it exists now, and this last one doesn't really need to be spoken about in that sense, is, is the reaction that I've had from partners in the future who I do bring back past experiences with and I don't like it. Um, but my my conscious thinking now is kind of just to, like, cut that out and just focus on the now of the relationship that I have with someone and if like as you say Molly if there are things that they should know like if there are trends that they should know about if there are constructive reflection as I might like to call it oh I like that getting it fancy (laughs) I like that I might tweet that out oh (laughs) constructive reflection with my god you're gonna be put on the twitter yeah you're so popular yeah thank you but (laughs) that's my learning that is my learning and it's a yeah it's a learning curve it's a learning curve. Absolutely. It is. And we, we always are we're changing. We're working on our characters. We're all developing. Um, and we're all also are regressing in a lot of ways. Uh, this is the process of life. Do you want to say something, Hamish? No, I'm all right. You good? Do, should we move on to the next question? Yeah, let's do it. Great. Um, oh, there's so many good ones. Uh, <laughs> all right. What comes first in a relationship? Pooping or farting in front of each other? Definitely farts. Yeah. I feel like farting is the natural first <clears throat> step when it comes to pooping. Have you ever pooped in front of a partner, Erin? No. <laughs> Have you, Hamish? No. <laughs> I had to think about I that I peed one. in front of partners. I, I Lots have... of times. Guys, I, I do this all the time. Don't I, get me wrong, I, I, I'd love to get to that stage. See, I, I, th- I think it... It just hasn't happened. Like, I'm sure it's going to happen eventually. But, like, the bathroom door, the bathroom that I'm usually in is tiny. So I don't think there's room. And she'd have to, like, stand on my knees or something like that. <laughs> but I, it kind of related. Like, I have my, to be in their purpose. My, I was talking to my friend and he mentioned a story about his ex. And she had this weird thing when he peed, when he peed. Um, so at parties, she'd, they'd, get, they'd drink a little bit. Um, and she, he'd go to the bathroom and she'd be, he, she'd be like, oh, where are you going? He's like, oh, I'm going to pee. She's like, oh, can I come? Um, and he's like, all right. And she'd watch him pee. But it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, just stand there awkwardly or like back turn. He's a tall guy and she's short, but she'd like get on her tippy toes, look over his shoulder, like look down. I, I'm not as good Did as... Did she ever steer the ship? Uh, I don't think so. I, I do know she once gave him a foot job. <laughs> Maybe she got a bit flexible with it. This is yeah. This is completely different territory now. Um. But yeah, definitely. I'd say definitely, definitely farting comes first. Yeah. My partner still has yet to fart in front of me, and I find it very awkward. I constantly, I, I'm oh. like, how dare you not fart in front of me? Oh my god, I love farting so much. So do I. But do you ever like, you ever, like but, fart but it makes the sheets me... and then like pull the sheets? Yeah, like, Dutch oven. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's oh, but it. I, but now I, I feel awkward with farting now. That's what's happened. Like I'll, be, I'll no. fart in front of her and I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. But in front of everyone else, I'm like, oh yeah, let one, mate. No, no worries there. Yeah. Um, no worries. And I, and I'm like, I'm literally like having conversations to her, but being like, can you please just give me a sound? G- give me something. Just give me something. Just give me something. Like. Anything. And it's like, no way, Jose. Wow. No. Um, the one thing that... <laughs> that well, just like conversations with their butt. Um, cool. Um, I, the, that was the one thing in my last relationship. What conversations with you? No, was that... Not, yes, no. Um, was that I felt uncomfortable to fart in front of him. And I told my friends and they were just like, this is actually a big deal because... <laughs> 
They know me as being quite an open person in many ways, particularly with farting. And when, yeah, I was like, yeah, I just feel like almost like he's going to judge me. They're just like, this isn't good. This is Had he farted in front of you? No, I never heard him. Oh, okay. But I I think I agree with that. Like, my partner hasn't farted in front of me and I feel awkward sometimes. (laughs) No. The reason is she just doesn't fart much, but I'm like, this is like a... She must have a very good diet. Yeah. No, God, no. She's the worst. Well, she's really good at hiding it. Oh, my God. And she just doesn't fart. Uh, she, although, she, she said... Hamish, well, that's a lie. She farts heaps. You know how many times I fart? And apparently, I was in the room when she did it, but it was like... And I, and I couldn't hear it, and I was like, this is upsetting. This is, this is not fair. This is so not fair. I need to get, like, a megaphone down there. I'm actually thinking right now to myself, have I even done a poo in a partner's <laughs> house before like not oh with, not even with them there i don't even know if i've ever done a poo in a partner's really? house okay i oh my gosh i've done them at friends houses <laughs> but like it's okay I so, I, 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 so, so I, know, I i live with my partner now so well yeah so you so don't that's have a quite that's, different it's, it's your house like, you kind of have to yeah yeah, and, and the bathroom is where the the toilet is <laughs> out you go but, you know, it's, so mom we're coming yeah, home we have to but Wow, never had a partner's house. Yeah, I don't know what I have. I mean, it's a great joy when you do it. You're just like, oh, this is I want to. I really want to. It's just, it's never, the timing's never been right. I I still technically live at home, but I'm at my partner's house about four times, four days in a week. I'm there. Like, I'm pretty much part of her family. They all, I think they all love me. I hope so. But I think I almost poop there more than I poop at my own house now. Oh, my God. (laughs) I like the poop, the, poop, the poop to the poop to ratio, the poop oh, ratio. I think my I think my public peeing habits are like enough to compensate for for that stool lack of. And not, stool yeah, and yeah. I I will pee anywhere. And so it's, will I. It's I'm not moving a good away thing sometimes. a little bit. No, no, no. I have to. No okay. liquids in do, the have, have you ever there. used? Do you know what it, what it means to, <laughs> to 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 do a Spanish pee? Yes. I don't. Can you? Uh, I'm going to elaborate it. And uh, for this me, no, yeah, so it is okay. pee in public, but it's in like very public, and it's yeah. it works much better if you have a skirt on. In yeah. fact, it pretty much only works when you have a skirt on. So basically, yeah, you sort of try with you sort of just sit and crouch, and you you move your legs apart a little bit. You get your skirt kind of around you, and you're just like, oh, it's all right. I I need to it's I like need to pee, UFO. and so you sort of shuffle down your uh, underwear, mm-hmm. and you very slowly just pee, and you kind of with the people around you, you just pretend like it's not happening. Then you stand up and you walk away, and no one knows. I have done it at the beach. I have done it in broad daylight at parks. I have done it very often, <laughs> particularly I, in the summer. I walked the Kokoda Trail a few years ago. Oh wow! So I had no choice really, other than to stop, drop my knickers, and go for a pee, and then catch up with the group. Really, really. Do you do like, it on the track? Like oh, you you have a bit of respect. You step to the side, <laughs> you find a bush somewhere, and you just you try to cover up. But I just look. imagine someone walking past me, like, oh yeah. Well, time. yeah, it happened. We kind of just Pee-time congregated. We did. We kind of just like grouped together, and it was like, all right, who needs to go take a leak? And we kind of just like group up, found a nice little bush, and like congregated, and just like, okay, so you know, I'm really tired and like hungry, and it's really hot here. There's a lot of mosquitoes. Pants oh, up. Yeah, done. Mm-hmm. I think I. I <laughs> That's I've my seen, life experience. My friend peed once off a train station, like oh, wow. off off the barrier, like. But I feel like yeah, I oh. feel like that's really easy. Were they male? No. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, no, Ooh, that's wow. what I'm saying. Like it was like on the grey. I think it was oh, locations. The uh, aim. Park? The aim of this person. I am so impressed. Victoria Park, you know the the middle middle yep. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the walkway, just got got the legs up. 
I just realised we're actually bum, like bum over the side. advocating for public urination right now, which is totally illegal. So. I feel like I don't know why, but my first thought of public urination is a lot of AFL footballers. <laughs> is that just me thinking that? This is digress. Let's go um, to another let's question. Go to, no, let's actually let's go to a let's song. Go to song. Let's go. Let's, yeah, song let's go. And to we'll a song. rethink our choices a little bit. Um, you know what? I'm just going to do a bit of a banger. Um, well, given that it's Reconciliation Week, we have Jessica Malboy with Wake Me Up. Um, you were listening to The Naughty Rude Show on Sin Nation. Welcome back to The Naughty Rude Show here on Sin Nation with your hosts, Erin, Molly and Hamish. hey yo, Could you tell me what that song was again? <laughs> that was Jessica Malboy's Wake Me Up. Cheers for that. That is, uh, we've put that in there and we have a few others to go towards the end of the show because of Reconciliation Week. So oh, we Justin have a really... Yeah. Justin yeah. So during the week, I um, did a bit of research, obviously, about um, how the Aboriginal community sees sexual health and how the different statistics that are present in the community as well. And this information that uh, we found here is from creativespirits.info and there's a lot of information there about Aboriginal culture, Aboriginal health and Aboriginal sexual health as well. So if you're interested in learning about more of that, do definitely head over there. And just some interesting statistics that um, I found because, you know, I, I love some numbers. I enjoy statistics here and there. Um, some Nuts interesting loose. numbers. Yeah, not really. <laughs> no, I just like statistics. That's all. No other numbers. But some interesting points that um thought were worth mentioning on the show tonight were that from a 2008 study that the average age of an Indigenous mother was around 25, whereas... For non-Indigenous mothers, the age is 30.1 years. So That's a big difference. There is a big difference there, really. I mean, if you think about it, um, Molly, you're 24? I am 24. Imagine having a kid in a year's time. I know that's something that you're quite fond of. <laughs> but, Are you? Uh, well, not in a year's time, but I'm definitely very keen to have children. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, well, yeah. I, would, I mean, I, I'm not keen on having a child myself, like birthing, but well, I no. want a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be interested. My my ideal age is twenty nine. Ooh. So five years. But I think that's we'll bring it, you back on. It's an interesting thing to think about given that um young people here are affected and young people are the ones having children. And like as Kimmy said in her interview with you, Mol, that mm-hmm. um families are growing at a rapid rate from a very young age in the Aboriginal community. Therefore we need these health resources and we need these clinics in place and these initiatives that look after young people in the Aboriginal Indigenous communities so that, you know, that we can continue this trend because it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be having big families and having children whenever you want. Like, there should be nothing to stop people from doing that. The Also here, the average age of an Aboriginal first-time mother was judged at 21, whereas the same figure exists for all mothers at 28.2. So obviously there's a big difference there as well. Mm. If we change the conversation now to the area of um, sexually transmitted diseases, mm-hmm. so the rate of chlamydia is three times higher among Aboriginal people compared to non-Aboriginal people. 27 times is the rate that gonorrhea is higher in, among Aboriginal Damn. people compared to non-Aboriginal people, wow. which is startling, really. That's one thing that Kimmy did touch on as well. She talked about access to education sure. and the fact that a lot of Aboriginal families are in rural areas mm. um, and the, ac- the, the access to education means that families get bigger but the services out to give them that education 
has not changed. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is an old, well, it's not even an old saying. It's like if you want to lessen population growth, mm. educating women is the best <coughs> way to do so. Mm. Um, so educating women on unsexually, sexually transmitted diseases and contraception is... Educating men and women, but definitely. catering to the needs of men and women is mm. really important as well because we all know that those needs can be very different. Mm, absolutely. Uh, as you were saying there as well, in how rural areas, rural areas are affected, 80% is the percentage of sexually transmitted infections among Aboriginal people that were found in remote and very remote communities. So th- those, yeah, obviously those areas are a lot more affected. And we found as well through some reading and different articles from The Guardian, from SBS, that these communities, these rural communities, are cut off from the access that someone living in a metropolitan area might have access to. Um, they might not see the same doctor all the time. I, I saw this thing about fly-in doctors are quite common. So... I know for a fact from personal experience that I have one GP that I go to who I will tell everything because I trust her. I trust her with my life and I trust her with my health. Quite and literally with your life. Yeah, quite literally. Yeah. And I imagine not having that confidence in a health professional or not having a professional to have confidence in in the first mm. place. And I could not feel able to open up and all that. Yeah. yeah. It must be very unsettling. It would sure. be difficult. Yep. 33% is the percentage of HIV-positive Aboriginal people who are female. Mm. The same figure for non-Aboriginal population stands at 10%. Um, this is because there is more heterosexual transmission in Aboriginal communities as well, which we I was reading a little bit about in terms of the brother boys and, and um, how there's a lack of education around that and there's a lack of support around what is needed to be sexually healthy and to be... You know, yeah, to be safe in those situations. Yeah. I feel like there's a limited attention there um, that needs to be addressed. Well, I think we've talked about this on past shows uh, that our what we got as sexual education in um, primary school and high school was below oh, what's sure. be- below the average. Yeah, um, was wasn't very comprehensive, and a lot of what we actually learnt was from external discussions with friends from the internet. Mm some even from porn, and yep. I think that this is strongly demonstrated. Mm. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I grew up through Catholic education. I went to a Catholic yep. primary school and I went to a Catholic high school, and, uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't talk about this stuff. We didn't do it. didn't happen. Mm. We had, like, two or three classes on what is sex, why does it happen, and, of course, why does it happen, because we procreate, that's why. And it only happens between a man and a woman who are happily married, really, was the education that I had. And I immediately was like, bullshit. No, it can Mm. happen between anyone. You know, like there should be no limitations around that. Anyone should be able to fulfill a happy sexual existence and healthy, more importantly, sexual existence is, I think, the key point. There are a lot of barriers and challenges to Aboriginal sexual health in these communities. Sexual health is, a very, is very important for Aboriginal people as well, but approaches to promote sexual health in communities need to be different for many reasons. Um, language can be a barrier because accessing sexual health services and information can be difficult in remote Aboriginal communities where English is a third or even fourth language. Mm. Um, in some communities, you know, you know, there's so many different 
tribes and countries in Aboriginal community, and that needs to be accommodated, I believe. Um, education, many Aboriginal people don't know the right questions to ask, which is common, I would say, in non-Aboriginal communities as well with young people. A lot of young people don't know what to ask when something is not right or they don't know. They won't even they know something's right. They don't even know that the access to those services could be even available. Yeah. They don't even know that those services exist. Yeah, Actually, I have, I have a story because I, when I was doing my degree, mm. I did a subject, so I researched David Gulpilil. Do you both know who David Gulpilil is? I am vaguely familiar with him. Yeah. Vaguely. So uh, the, the first time that we saw him was in Crocodile Dundee, and he is the yep. Aboriginal man in Crocodile Dundee, mm-hmm. but he's done many things after that. He was that. also in 10 Canoes, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. He's, he's our most prominent Indigenous actor. actor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I watched a documentary about him and the fact that, well, not only was he, uh, you know, Crocodile Dundee grossed about $200 million dollars and I think for the times it's a lot yeah and I think that he made maybe forty thousand dollars of that Mm. um which is which is very different to the white actors so that's that's different for one and the other thing was that the way that he and his mob treated money was very different to what we would do we would probably put it into a bank account and we would know to save some and put some towards an investment or whatever it was very different for him. He was like, oh, well, I have money. I share it with my family. And yes. so when it comes to things like that, there's no way to store this money. Mm-hmm. It goes very quickly. Um, and he's someone who's our most prominent Indigenous actor, yet at the time he was living without electricity in Arnhem Land. Mm. And if you think about that, so even just the ways that they are going to think about things that we think are very straightforward, like, oh, you get money, you put it in the bank, you save some, you spend some, you know, straightforward, right? It's completely different. Um, And that's really important to acknowledge as well, the way that they might go about services that we won't understand. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I did actually, yeah, I had a conversation earlier in the week with an Indigenous woman, um, a professional wrestler, and she said that you can't fix these things by throwing money at the situation. Um, you, you could literally be giving money to someone who's coming from Outbush and doesn't know where, like, they can't go to a shop and they don't know where to spend that money, but then they don't know where to find the services that they need. So it needs to be, these support services need to be tailored for people with the community incentive there, with this conversation around that. And, and I think it's very important to say with the community as well because a lot of the time the communities that this involves, they understand their community the most. Mm. So they should we should be working with them so they can be uplifted and craft their own services for what would suit them. And I think that that's really important, that we get a lot of this white saviour, we should help them, we could do this, when actually I think it's pretty clear that we don't know shit. Yeah, 100%. Well, as as you're saying that, actually, I read an article um, from SBS about, it's called Indigenous and LGBTI Who's Looking Out for You?, and it spoke about advocates who want LGBTI support services such as Victoria AIDS Council, Q Life, Safe Schools, ACON, and others to provide the right support for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people by involving those people, by involving the people in the community, part of the mob who would understand these issues. Uh, and it came, this initiative came after, in December, the death of a 13 year old Tyrone Unsworth. I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with that, but it shocked the LGBTI community. 
um, because he was he took his life essentially he took his life um, after receiving comments which were allegedly homophobic and racist. Um, before I go on as well, if we're going to be talking about this sort of issue and it does upset you in any way or if you would like someone to speak to, you can contact Beyond Blue at 1300 22 4636 Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800 and of course Lifeline on 131114 at absolutely any time. Um, so of course, yeah, this was a, a shaking situation in the, in the community, in the Indigenous LGBTI community. Um, more recently as well, federal funding was cut for the Northern Territory AIDS and Hepatitis Council and Queensland's 21-year-old Indigenous Sexual Health Program, um, Two Spirits, which is quite well known in the community for helping with these sorts of issues. And this comes despite increases in HIV diagnosis in Indigenous people. But also here, Damon Bonson is the founder of Black Rainbow and a dedicated LGBTI <coughs> Indigenous suicide prevention organisation. He sums, Yeah, as you were saying before, he sums it up pretty pretty nicely here just with this quote that I'll read out for you. The best tip I can give is this. If you are sitting around the table making decisions and there isn't an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander professional peer at the table, stop. Go get one. Start making those relationships. Absolutely. Mm. And that, that that is not just with Indigenous um, and Aboriginal matters. It's it's with anything. So if mm. it's if any anything to do with um, anyone who is marginalised. Sure. Which is why, obviously, as as a woman, it is so shocking to see that there are so such little representation in our federal parliament. Um, I'm going to play a song now just to go off that because I think that that the, uh, these statistics, they're not comfortable. Mm. They're quite shocking, particularly if you haven't heard or are not that aware or mm. um, don't hear about Indigenous issues that much. But they need to be talked about. They do really need to be talked about and um, and we need to be shocked by them so we can be rocked and we can stand together and stand with people who are Indigenous and help overcome these issues, um, particularly as young people who mm. are much more clued into injustices like this. Yeah, for sure. Well, the theme for this year, before you go on, the theme for this year's National Reconciliation Week is let's take the next steps. So... This, this is part of the next step. It's about reconciliation, it's about recognition and it's about having an awareness around our country's past, the, the past and the, the struggle of our First Nations people and acknowledging what the next step forward is in how we can reconcile and move forward. Absolutely. You can listen to The Naughty Rude Show live 8 to 10pm every Sunday on Sin Nation. So, so, so scandalous.